Hello there, and welcome to an Argus Wait Afraid podcast, where we will discuss developments in the commodity markets and their relationships with the shipping sector. My name is Andrew Call. I'm the Asia Pacific Freight Editor, and joining me are Azlin Ahmad, the Asia Pacific Crude Editor, and Hamrin Hamid, Asia Pacific's Freight Reporter. This podcast is going to focus on the current and possible forward state of the dirty tanker markets specifically regarding loadings out of Far East Russia following the Russia-Ukraine conflict. The past few years have been quite a ride, with the world just coming into terms with COVID-19 and the new normal. But now we are faced with rising global tensions as the conflict brings forth new uncertainties. Global oil and commodity prices have surged as a result, and dirty tanker freight rates have also jumped to almost two-year highs. But is this more of a temporary spike, or could it have a more lasting effect on the market? Aslin, could you start off by telling us a little bit more about the future of Russian crudes, given today's global climate? Hi, Andrew. Yes, of course. Uh, right now, it's really very unclear how the market for Russian crudes will develop in the coming months, or even in the coming um, several months. At the moment, the trade for the Russian Far East crudes, particularly the so-called NSPO blend, is basically at a standstill because many buyers have stayed out of the market. Buyers have been reluctant to buy Russian crude because of financing and shipping concerns and just fears of new sanctions that may target Russian oil. And the key factor that has hindered trade is the reluctance of many, many banks to issue letters of credit for buyers fearing that international financial sanctions imposed on Russia may hinder payment. China is a key buyer of um, Espo blend, and nearly 630,000 barrels per day of Espo blend crude that loaded from the Russian Far East port of Kazmino in January headed to China. But even some Chinese banks have stopped issuing letters of credit for purchases of Russian crude. So what's happening is that many Asian refiners, um, out of cautiousness, are starting to look more at other crudes, particularly from the Middle East. Thanks for that, Aslin. So, um, Hamron, given the situation with Russian grades, how is the shipping sector faring? Hi, Andrew. Um, thanks for having me on this podcast. Um, well, <clears throat> It is being reflected on freight rates as demand has particularly picked up from the Middle East Gulf to East Asia and also from the Southeast Asia to North Asia region. We've noticed that, you know, the demand for Suez Maxis has picked up for India-bound shipments um, and Chinese shipments, while EFRAS uh, has picked up for the South Korean and Japanese uh, regions. The demand for Suez Maxis into India is stronger because they can accommodate larger vessels into ports you know, especially into the west coast of India. And the dollar per ton cost on that route is much more economical for Swiss Max, and India has always been running their refineries on max output as well. Uh, for the southeast Asia to north region, the Afromaxis volume is more as the routes are generally shorter, so owners would rather churn out their Afromaxis over Swiss Maxis on, on those shorter routes. And also for the Russian routes, as what um, Azlin has mentioned earlier, the market is actually on a wait-and-see approach, and only certain owners are willing to perform those voyages uh, into loading into Cosmino and out. And, 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 but this changes by the day, as I'm hearing that more owners are not calling Russia, um, and it all depends on the sanctions being placed on them and even further secondary sanctions. So in terms of a freight and shipping uh, market, 
it is definitely driving uh, the rates up because of the uncertainties around Russia-Ukraine's conflict. Yeah. Okay, great. Thanks, thanks for that, Hamron. Um, but could you elaborate a little bit more on the uncertainties and risks? Um, I mean, we've also heard talks of some ship owners self-imposing restrictions um, on calling Russia. Uh, so is that something that's going to grow? Um, have you seen anything specific so far? Yes, definitely. Um, you know, um, as you said, ship owners are self-imposing uh, restrictions on calling Russia and and. I've just heard from market participants uh, on a daily basis that more owners are, are cancelling out calls and not fulfilling their charters. But some owners, however, will call Russian ports on a case-by-case basis, so that this pending on compliance clearances. And other ship owners have agreed to just follow suit with U.S. positions on sanctions. So even for, let's just say, cheaper bunkers in Russia, uh, no owners are willing to take that risk because... Um, they have to bear the risk of carrying a sanctioned cargo, number one. And two, this could lead to the detainment of the vessel, which will not bode well for their entity in the long run. Uh, ship owners will need to be willing to pay higher for insurance that their P&I clubs deem necessary during this climate. While this cost may be on the charter's account, for example, this puts them in a very bad position for future fixtures. Um, and as we know, you know, for uh, future fixtures, um, they usually have to go through a clearance. And if there's if there was an ex-Russian cargo in the last three fixtures, for example, the ship might not get cleared for new business. Um, also, like all existing charters would need to be fulfilled despite ongoing sanctions. And should owners not fulfill their conditions of the charter party, they will be liable to fines and notices from the charters themselves. Some owners, some bigger owners, for example, reserve their rights to not call US sanctioned ports as they may be protected with the trade and compliance clause in their CP. Other small owners may not. So it really depends, and, 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 and it's all really a wait-and-see approach from the market. That's what I've been getting over the past week, at least. All right. Thanks, thanks, uh, Herman. Um, that's good stuff. So, but let's say um, on ship owners that have long-term or period time charter contracts, what about them? Okay, so that's a very good point. So for that, for, for the long-term time charter contracts, right, uh, the onus falls onto the charters, as they would be liable to find the vessel's next cargoes or fixtures. But it may be an issue as the head owners may not agree with the trade routes and cargoes the time charters have fixed, and this too will be another issue in terms of fulfilling contractual terms. I believe most ship owners now have implemented a Russian sanction clause uh, into their their CPs or charter parties to protect them from any sanctioned deals. So this will be very interesting to see how it works out. Like with COVID-19 during the pandemic, there was a pandemic clause where charters will be liable for any delays or costs should the vessel and her crew be stuck at a port. So this pandemic clause was implemented almost immediately when COVID had hit. So I foresee the same thing happening right now with the Russian-Ukraine conflict. So because of these uncertainties surrounding this issue, um, the busiest Cosmino North China route, the freight rates had doubled overnight on the 1st of March, purely because not many owners are willing to go into Cosmino, and some owners are. So they, they took advantage of that spike, and they went in, and rates just doubled overnight. So interestingly, actually, the for those Russian owners already sanctioned by the US, they could also be fixed on a long-term charter for Russian routes, as China still remain open to trade for Russian grades. So this too could be very interesting, but... We do not know how this will work out. It's, it's again, we have to wait and see. 
But it could be a very interesting point because we do not know how long this would last for. And if it lasts for maybe a few more months, this could be perfect for those owners who might already have been sanctioned by the U.S. Okay. Thanks, Simon. That's that's a really uh, actually interesting point. Um, perhaps if we could shift back to Aslin, um, since the Russian vessels, I mean, um, as Hamron pointed out, are available to continue with their trades, does that mean cargo flows could continue? Theoretically, yes. The issue at the moment is um, not so much the flow of exports because the sellers are definitely willing to sell, looking to sell but it's the buyers that are not willing to take the cargoes. So we're not clear if if that will improve because should it become uh, apparent or uh, clear that Europe will not impose sanctions on Russia for oil exports, maybe some banks will be uh, less wary um, or potentially um, Russian crude prices could fall so much that some buyers would continue to uh, buy because uh, it's economic. So I guess, again, a wait and see stance, hoping that, um, you know, that the the flow of uh, exports uh, out of Russia actually will not dry up. Okay, understood. Thanks for that. Um, So maybe could you just uh, give us a, a list of possible alternatives then for Asian buyers? Yes, um, the main ones would still be the Middle East crude, such as um, Oman, um, Abu Dhabi Merban, even Saudi crude like uh, the medium sour Arab light and light sour um, Arab extra light would potentially be good alternatives for the Russian Far East crews like Espo, uh, Soko, Sakhalin blend that flows mainly into Asia Pacific. Um, and also the supplies of this crude um, is, is enough to actually meet at least uh, a part of the shortfall, although not all the shortfall um, of Russian crudes should the flows uh, dry up. The other grades that could uh, potentially uh, replace the Russian Far East crudes is like US Light Sweet WTI and Medium Sour Mars. Although with um, US now actually banning you uh, Russian oil imports, uh, maybe a lot of the US crudes may stay within the domestic market. So we're not sure about that. And definitely um, grades like Iranian crude, if sanctions do get lifted. But at this point, it just seems so uncertain on that front, what is happening and when um, anything could uh, get uh, agreed um, between Iran and the Western powers. So the grades that could meet any sort of like decline in the Russian Far East crudes would mainly be from the Middle East. All right. Thanks. Thanks, Aslin. And, and Hamron, so with what Aslin has just said, um, what, what could this possibly mean for dirty routes? Um, yes, so this will definitely create a high demand for vessels loading out of the Mideast Gulf, especially what Aslin had just mentioned. Um, maybe not so from the U.S. anymore because of the recent administration that they, they have came up with. Asian refineries have turned to alternative supplies, definitely. And I feel that this costs for more expensive trade because of the overall reduction in supply. And this would naturally drive crude prices up and a rippling effect driving freight rates as well. Um, Europe only accounts for about 50% of Russia's seaborne imports per day. But as demand to Asia strengthens um, and the alternative uh, sources from countries or ports further from Cosmino, this will definitely tighten global tonnage supplies. So, like, for example, um, a round trip from the Espo shipment from Cosmino to North China would take about, say, 10 to 12 days. Like, if shipments are sourced from the Mideast Gulf, 
that round trip will actually quadruple. Like it will take probably about 45 to 48 days. So shipments would essentially take about four times longer. But that's on a worst case scenario. Um, some FMXs, for example, can be booked uh, nearer in the region, for example, Singapore, and this would reduce the ballast trip, but it would still be about 40 days. All right, all right. That, that's a good point. Thanks, Hamron. And, and Aslin, so let's say we move back to how crude is. What do you think the short-term challenges for Asian buyers are at the moment? Um, well, the thing is that right now, apart from the practical difficulties like getting finance and just worries about uh, vessels, some buyers are really worried about the publicity or the backlash of buying uh, Russian oil because there is a lot of information out there, including ship tracking. So it's very difficult to hide if you've actually bought Russian oil. So we do hear that a lot of uh, buyers in Asia particularly are just um, wary that they could get a lot of backlash and bad publicity if they do take a Russian crude. And because of that, that means that they would prefer to look for other crudes. And that obviously will drive up prices of the Middle East, even Asian crude. And as Hamrin pointed out, you know, it is more expensive to buy a Middle East crude just on the freight cost itself because it is further to Asia than the few days or one week sailing time from Cosmino. So all this actually will hit the refiner's bottom line. And that will really make them think about whether they can actually run as hard as they would like to. So I think the cost is going to be a big factor, at least in the short term, for many refiners in Asia-Pacific with all the factors that are now uh, coming together because of what is happening with the Russian-Ukraine conflict. Got it. Thanks, thanks, Aslin. And, and anything from a shipping perspective, uh, Hamron? Um, yes. Um, from a shipping perspective, um, the supply chain will definitely be disrupted, you know, as as not all shipping entities will agree to work with Russian-affiliated uh, products or, or, or flags or vessels. And I foresee this being a, a huge issue um, because as also in terms of calling ports, uh, countries, even agents or cargo, ex-Russian cargo, this is all a big question mark for now. But we, we see the market shifting away from them already. So this is one of the biggest uh, issue that I foresee in the short-term outlook. And as also mentioned earlier, um, Aslin had mentioned actually, the payment limitations uh, because of financing to Russian banks, you know, the unwillingness of banks to finance Russian trades, uh, issuing the letter of credit, and in particular, the termination of the, the SWIFT system makes it harder for entities to transact on trades. So this could be the two biggest issues in the near run. But on hindsight, um, SOMO had come out and said, that Iraq believes that the level of oil exports supplied to the global market is commensurate with the level of global demand. So the planned increases from OPEC Plus uh, are sufficient to address any shortages that may occur in supply. So they will, again, OPEC, uh, will, will raise the collective output quota by 400,000 barrels per day. Uh, and from May, it plans to increase that quota to 430,000 barrels per day until all the production it cut in 2020 has returned. So in hindsight, we have a little bit of a silver lining here in terms of the overall uh, supply of, of oil to Asia, at least. So, yeah, we'll see. Thanks, guys. That was a great run through. And thank you again for taking the time. And thanks to everyone for tuning in and listening to our podcast today. I hope it was insightful. Details on Argus Freight Services are available on Argus Media website. Our daily assessments and commentaries can be found on Argus Freight Report. And further content is freely available on the Way to Freight website. Until then, stay safe and take care. 